Davis steps under center. Gibson and McClendon behind it. Davis with motion by Richard. Will get the ball to McClendon. He leaps. Oh, he doesn't get in. He fumbled the football. Carolina holds. The game is over. And Carolina has won the game. Finley to throw. Over the middle. Intercepted. Wolfuck again. Wolfuck the other way. At the 30. The 40. Wolfuck to midfield. Miles Wolfuck with the pick. The heels on the doorstep of an enormous victory. Left side of the line. Hood standing to Williams' is right. Williams going to throw. One-on-one. Davis has it. Touchdown. Carolina wins. Carolina is the Coastal Division champion. Bernard fields it at the 26. Heading to the far side. Gio at the 35. Gio, he's at the 50. No, he's not. Yes, he is. Gio, he's going to take it for a touchdown. Are you kidding me? Connor Barth for the possible win. Snap. Spot. Kick away. High enough. Long enough. Tough Blog Podcast. Hey guys, and welcome to another edition of the Heel Tough Blog Podcast. It's your host, Anthony Pagnata, with you guys as always. And tonight, we are here to talk to you guys about the Tar Heels' first game of the season, one that did not go the way that many of us were hoping. Um, but it's uh, a chance for the Tar Heels to rebound and reset. We're going to go through. Uh, talk about that loss. Uh, Josh gets to uh, proclaim that he was right. So this should be a fantastic episode of the podcast for him. Not happy that I was right about this. I didn't say you were happy that you were right. I said that you will brag about the fact that you were right. But um, I did get told on Twitter that I was right by a handful of listeners. So most 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 people were not happy about the fact that you were right. <laughs> No, so, which is normal, which is normal. That's also been a common theme of your girlfriends in the past, but you Yikes. know, that's what it is. Um, so the Toriels, they were, you know, of course they, they fall on the road on Friday night to Virginia tech, 17 to 10, uh, Tar Heels, uh, then fall today in the AP poll to 24th. So that'll be the number that'll be beside their name when they open at home this uh, Saturday against Georgia State. It's a 7.30 kick. Uh, they announced today that that game is now officially sold out. Doesn't mean that the stadium is going to be full. Um, I don't. There are some rumors that some people have bought tickets and are not going to show up. Um, most of them trying to make a statement that they don't want to wear masks, whatever. I don't really know what the truth is to that. That's a whole nother topic that we can discuss at some other point, uh, but we probably, we, we're not going to do that on this podcast, but uh, it looks like at the, at, for, at, as of right now, for the time being, it looks like Carolina is expecting and preparing for a full crowd uh, for the 2021 home opener. And uh, this, this is about, about right. Um, I feel like this is probably the area where we thought they could fall to. Um, you know, what, what do you think about them still being ranked inside of the top 25? And ultimately, I think the other big question is, is 
Are you kind of with Mac Brown at this point where preseason polls are just, it, it just creates too much hype around these teams that really is unwarranted? Well, I was kind of surprised they fell as far as they did because like he said in the post game, a lot of programs start the season off with the scrimmage. I thought that was a very nice way to say that you play a nobody. Um, and they went on the road into – we can all agree that even when Virginia Tech's not a national contender, that's as good, an at, as, good as an atmosphere in college football. Um, and they lost by a touchdown. So I was really surprised that they're behind Miami, who got boat raced by, my, uh, by Alabama. Um, so you got that. And then the thing about the rankings, look, I didn't pay as much attention to Mac Brown as I did when he was at Texas as he is now. I don't remember him saying this all the time that you shouldn't rank teams in the preseason. It, they've been doing it since 1950. They're not going to quit doing it. It does add hype to the upcoming season. Would there have been the same amount of interest in Clemson and Georgia if there wasn't a three and five beside those team schools? I don't know. Maybe because they have passionate fan bases, but it's the preseason. It gives you something to talk about in July, heading into August. I don't want to see that go away, um, but maybe we should reevaluate maybe w when we do rank the teams as opposed to maybe we do it the week before as opposed to a month before. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I get what he's saying. I, I know that, you know, you can't really gauge some of these teams. I mean, there are teams in the past that we've seen that have come in with hype. I mean, the one that I always go back to and really even the Heisman rankings is that team back in – what was it about 2000? Oh man, it's been a while now. It's probably 2013, 2014. The Auburn team uh, that had Jeremy Johnson, they thought that they were going to be this stud school. Jeremy Johnson was one of the worst quarterbacks we've probably ever seen that had hype around him. He was, he was so bad. And that team was nowhere near what they ex were expected to be. So, I mean, I understand that part of it. Um, but I, I mean, look, I, I don't, I, I don't get the thing that, you know, it, it puts pressure on teams or whatever. I mean, they, they've been having these rankings for how many years now? Like, you know that that's just part of it when you come in with that number next to your name. And I know that Carolina fans probably feel like, man, he's right. We don't want to have this hype around him. But I don't really think it matters. I don't, I don't think it matters if there's a number next to your name or not because here's the thing that's going to happen. If these lists don't come, if these rankings don't come out officially from the AP and the coaches poll, they're still going to come out from the normal people that want to rank these teams. They do it yeah. all the time. I mean, in the, the NFL doesn't have an official ranking, but how many people put out power rankings? Like it's just, it's just part of it. So well, well, my thing is this is, you know, and look, Mac Brown's been campaigning to, you know, sell the stadium out and and fundraising and all that, it's a lot easier when you can say you got a pro, you know, a preseason top 10 team in Chapel Hill as opposed to a team yep. you don't know what they're going to be about. So there's there's benefits to both sides. It adds interest. Um, it, it, it adds excitement with the fan base. I mean, you got to look at it from Carolina's standpoint. In three years, you've now had a point where your preseason top 10 team and Virginia Tech is storming the field after they beat you um, on their home field. That's, that's something you should be feeling somewhat good about, in, you know, in a roundabout way. So, well, let's let's look back at that game against Virginia Tech. You know, mm -hmm. the Tar Heels fall, as I mentioned, seventeen to ten on the road uh, in, at Virginia Tech. And and look, I mean, the Hokies head coach Je uh, Justin Fuente did a great job of describing what 
this game basically was. This was the most hyped game for Virginia Tech in a long, long time because you had the number 10 team in the country having to come into your place week one of the season. It's a place that they've struggled historically. And this was the first time in nearly two years that people were allowed inside of stadiums throughout all of college football. So a lot of these environments, especially ones like Lane Stadium that are known for being hostile, that have these traditions that are really tough to sort of prepare against and the environments that are really tough to prepare against, uh, it, it came out in this game. That was a, a crazy environment. Carolina did not look ready to go. And they were a team that simply looked, you know, outcoached. And I think it was pretty evident from the word go, especially in the first half with how quickly uh, Virginia Tech was able to jump out on the Tar Heels. You know, what did you think about uh, the start for Virginia Tech? And, and did it look like a team like it did to me that uh, was basically having the same issues that they had against Virginia and mainly the game against Florida State last year? You know, you, you mentioned being, being brought up out coach, and I think that was where it started. Um, Jay Bateman said in his media availability yesterday that they expected Virginia Tech to line up and run at them as opposed to line up and get to and run around the edges like they did. That caught me off guard because I think the, the thing that Carolina has struggled under Jay Bateman and under every defense since Butch Davis really left town was getting off blocks and getting to the edge to stop the running game. And so Virginia Tech was able to do that in the first half at will. Um, I thought they made the adjustments in the at halftime on the defensive side of the ball in the second half. The defense played great in the second half. And then offensively, I don't know if it was out coach. Um, it was more Virginia Tech was tougher than Carolina was at the line of scrimmage. Um, we mentioned how much missing Brian Anderson could turn out to be. It turned out to be huge. No offense to carry on Johnson. I said in the preview that he's not a guy that can that's going to help you. He's going to hurt you more ways than one. That was proven true. Um, and, look, I know the guy fought his tail off, but, look, we're in this business to, to win games, and he didn't do a good enough job to help Carolina do that. So I thought the first half it was definitely coaching. But the second half, I thought Carolina left plays on the field on the offensive end. I thought Sam Howell put some balls out there for Emory Simmons and Garrett Walson and those guys to go make plays, and they simply didn't make them. And when you're trying to, you know, climb out of a 14-point hole on the road in that environment, you got to make those kind of plays. Yeah, well, let's take a quick look at the box score here uh, from this game. You know, Carolina, definitely not their best performance in this game. Sam Howell, 17 of 32, 208 yards, one touchdown, three interceptions. We'll talk about him a little more in depth coming up here. Uh, Carolina led in receiving, not shocking, by Josh Downs, eight catches, 123 yards, and a touchdown on 10 targets. Uh, he looked apart. He looked like a guy that Carolina is going to uh, really rely on throughout the entire season. But then, as you mentioned, the rest of the unit really struggled. Primarily, Emory Simmons, nine targets, caught just three of those for 46 yards. Garrett Walston, four targets, caught just one of those for six yards. Yeah. And then uh, guys like uh, Anton Green, just two catches for 20 yards on the night, couldn't really create the separation that they wanted. And Justin Olsen, the one pass that was thrown his way, was ripped away from him for an interception. The one area that I think Carolina had some success that I'm shocked that they didn't go to more, and they probably should going forward, is the running game. Ty Chandler, 10 carries, 66 yards, 6.6 yards per carry. Uh, he, he looked really good. There were some moments where 
Uh, I think that, you know, really the offensive line just, uh, again, showing that they got outmatched, couldn't win up front, and he was dropped for some short gains. But when he had some space, he looked really, really good, uh, especially when he was able to get to the edge. And then I thought DJ Jones looked pretty good as well. He had six carries for 43 yards, 7.2 yards per carry. And I know he had the long run before halftime, but I thought there were a couple other uh, you know, air carries that he took where he showed, you know, some of what we saw from him a year ago, some of the elusiveness, uh, some of the nice speed that I, I think people really liked about him. And, and part of what most people thought would make him the number two running back in this rotation. Uh, but I, I, he's a guy I think that Carolina definitely has to keep an eye on going forward. When you look on the defensive side of the ball, uh, you had four guys tie as the leading tacklers, Jaquarius Conley, seven total tackles, six of of which were solos, uh, one tackle for loss, and of course the diving interception, which was a tremendous play, but he did leave a couple of tackles on the field as well with a couple of missed tackles in open space. Trey Morrison played really, really well, seven total tackles for him as well. Uh, five of which were solo and a forced fumble. You had Eugene Asante also with seven total tackles. He was a guy that, you know, kind of looked a little too amped up for the moment, uh, was, you know, kind of out in space, overrunning some plays. Uh, that's something that I think uh, Carolina's definitely got to get calmed down. And Jay Bateman talked about that when he talked to the media the other day, how yeah. uh, it was really just trying to calm some guys down because they were playing a little too uh, amped up. With it. They were trying to fly around the field. They were being a little too overaggressive. And so, so uh, I think that Carolina is definitely, uh, you know, going to be a little more prepared coming out of the gate. Um, one of the other statistics won't read off a bunch of the other defensive statistics, but you had Tamon Fox and uh, Kamen Rucker. They combined on the Tar Heels lone sack of the night. And with that half sack from Tamon Fox, he does move ahead of Lawrence Taylor for fifth all time on the Tar Heels sack list. When it came to uh, the kicking game, uh, Carolina uh, leaned on Grayson Atkins and, uh, late in the game in the fourth quarter. Uh, he hit a 31-yard field goal without issue, giving Carolina a chance to have that drive late in the game. Uh, some of the other stuff, uh, when you go and look at, uh, you know, the overall statistics, uh, Carolina, believe it or not, more total yards in this game than Virginia Tech, even after the slow start in the first half. 354 total yards of offense for Carolina to 296 for Virginia Tech. Carolina actually... <laughs> This is another one that kind of blew me away with how it looked uh, on, you know, just from watching at home. Carolina actually outrushed Virginia Tech in this yep. game, 146 rushing yards uh, to 127 for Virginia Tech. Passing yards, Carolina also outpassed Virginia Tech, 208 yards to 169 yards. So everything there would tell you that Carolina – uh, should have won this game, but that just wasn't how it worked. One of the big areas where I think Virginia Tech had a lot more success than Carolina, especially early on, uh, was in third downs. Carolina just two of 10 on third down. Virginia Tech six of 13, including six for their first six to yeah. begin the game. Carolina really rallied defensively uh, to finish off the night well. But, you know, really two different air, two, two different combinations there. Uh, Carolina, you know, having to ratchet up on the defensive side after struggling early on, which allowed Virginia Tech to jump out to the lead. And then on the offensive side, really the fact that they couldn't get themselves into third and medium or third and short situations really hurt them. Third and longs of nine 
plus yards, Carolina two of five. So that means yeah. that only five that, that they had two uh, or five of the attempts were nine yards plus. And the average down to di- down and distance to go on third down for Carolina was 9.3. That's something that's got to change. That was an issue mainly in the first year that Phil Longo was here. We didn't see it as much last year. We knew, look, we knew that was going to be a little bit of an issue, but you know, look, I think that leads us into some of our conversation points here. I think the main thing that we have to talk about when we talk about this game is the offensive line. And you mentioned it. You mentioned Brian Anderson not there. Took two snaps in the game, um, which was I, – I don't really understand it. I, to me, if he was in uniform, why was he not playing? I, I don't really understand why he even threw him out there at all uh, for two snaps if he was that injured that he couldn't start for you. But um, the main thing that I think – got me up in arms and I haven't really seen a lot of people pointing out as much was the fact that they switched Asim Richards and Joshua Zudu. They moved Joshua Zudu out to left tackle, moved Asim Richards inside to left guard. Well, if you go on pro football focus and look, which I, I like to do that typically for your offensive linemen uh, and your defensive linemen, both really good. Uh, you know, they, they grade guys out. They do a really good job of that. Joshua Zudu played great. He was fantastic. That was one of the best games of his career. That's fine. Uh, Awesome Richards probably had the worst game of his career, definitely in pass protection. I don't really understand the switch. Mac Brown in his press conference said that he was the guy that initiated that switch. If that's actually true, then there is a lot of blame that needs to go towards Mac Brown. I think that this is probably a combination of Mac Brown and Stacey Searles. And I think both of them uh, right now should be under fire because I'm going to be honest, that was a horrific decision and it backfired immensely on the targets. Yeah. Um, I was kind of blown away too. When Mac Brown said yesterday at the media, that was his decision. Um, they felt like a Zudo who was, it, look, it's Carolina's best offensive lineman. You put him on at left tackle. It's not going to hurt you the way that it did, but it did. Um, and looking back on it now, that's a decision that should have only been made if it was last resort, oper- you know, if it was like like injuries, something like that, just because Izudu's better on the inside. And look, is a, is Asam Richards a great left tackle? No, but he's not a great left guard either. Um, and, and so I think that's just something. And look, we talked about it when we previewed the offensive line. And we were so confident that we're turning all those starters that was why this offense wasn't going to miss the the beat that it's it was that it, it, it ultimately did without Carter and Deami Brown and those guys. I think it comes back to coaching. And I, I just don't think Stacy Searles had his guys prepared. I don't think the adjustments that they tried to make in game were the right decisions and it didn't work. They've got to get more out of that group. Um and, and if it means you're rotating young guys in. I think that's something that they didn't have a problem doing that defensively. You saw Javari Ritzy come in and make a play, and it really changed the way Carolina's defense played from that time on. Maybe Carolina's got to just say, screw the experience. We need the best talented five we got out there because the five most experienced guys got got their butts kicked. Um, and, look, I know Virginia Tech's got good defensive line talent. The same Virginia Tech of old that has first round and, and, and day one NFL prospects on, on that defensive line, that was what was most disconcerting. And it's why Carolina could never, it's why Sam Howell could never get comfortable. Um, and it's why their running game, even though they outrushed for Virginia Tech, 
was inconsistent because there weren't the same consistent holes you were getting at times last year. Ultimately, it comes back to the same things that we talked about in last year's losses to Notre Dame and A&M. You got to get better up front, and it starts more with that offensive line than that defensive line. Well, the thing that was that that I think was scary for a lot of people was that this just wasn't this wasn't a line that had it together even from the start. Yeah. In games against Notre Dame and Texas A&M, they were groups that looked good early on, but then faded because of the physicality, because of the talent that they faced. And, and look, you said this isn't the Virginia Tech Bowl. I'm going to tell you, Amari Barno, is that, that's a good player, man. He made himself a lot of money. He, he's going to have a chance to be probably a, a day two or higher pick in the draft. But, yeah, I mean, you're right. I don't understand. Th- this is – the thing when it comes to offensive line play, just because your best offensive lineman, you know, can move around, can do a lot of different things. Doesn't mean that he should. The key to offensive line play is finding your best five guys, but it more importantly, it's about finding the five that fit the best together, where they fit the best together. And it forms the best, most cohesive line. One of the big problems that they said they had was communication. You didn't have Brian Anderson out there who is considered your best communicator of the group. And that makes some sense because, look, he's first of all the center. He's the guy in the middle. That's usually the guy you want to be your best communicator. And second, you know, we've heard Joshua Zudu talk. Joshua Zudu is a relatively quiet guy. You know, he just he's a guy that goes about his business and, and plays the way he does. Same thing with Marcus McKeithen. And that's fine. I mean, there's guys like that. You need guys like Brian Anderson out there. But with him out of the lineup, you thought that the best move was to have a guy that had never played guard in his in his life. He'd never played it. He played tackle in high school in a Sim Richards move inside and play next to an inexperienced and another guy that's not used to being a vocal leader in Kieran Johnson, who, who didn't, I mean, look, he didn't have the best day either, but I feel like a lot of people are really, really going after him guys. The worst, the worst player on that offensive line the other night was a Sim Richards and it wasn't even close. He got beat so many times inside and look, it's not all on him. He got put in a terrible situation. He should not have been playing that, especially against a team like Virginia tech who has talent on that defensive line. If you wanted to do that, you could do that when you open with an opponent like you open with next year, Florida A&M. That's, that's a game where maybe, okay, if you wanted to try that and see if that actually worked, maybe you do that. You don't do that against a conference opponent on the road in a tough environment. That made no sense to me. And that's the thing I think I'm most angry about today is that I think that if, if they wouldn't have made that switch, I don't – there's no way – that that team lets up six sacks in that game. It, it would have been a completely different game because two of the sacks, including um, it w- what wasn't even a sack, but the interception that was thrown late in the game by uh, Sam Howell, Phil Longo admitted that was – he had immediate pressure on him because it was a miscommunication. Did they yeah. – one guy pull blocked on a pass – on a passing down. That I mean, what what, what is happening? That, it's unbelievable, and that's something that can't happen against a team like Virginia Tech. So, uh, yeah, I, that's something that's got to get fixed. I don't know if you're with me. They need no doubt in my mind, switch back as Zudu and Richards and never try that again. That was a failed experiment. You gave it a shot. Do not try that again. And hopefully if they make that move 
and Brian Anderson comes back, I think even if they just make the move of switching Azudu and Richards, it will be a bit, that team will look a lot better. But I think you just switch those guys back, bring back Brian Anderson. It's the same group as last year, and you try to build off of what you did last year. And even if you're not a great unit, at least become a good unit or at least a solid unit going forward. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, and I think, you know, the other big thing is we, we talk so much about it. And I think, you know, people, people are going to say, well, we should have known. I, I've seen the comments mainly from NC State fans. Well, you know, we knew this team wasn't going to be able to replace all the skill position players that they lost that easily. And you can take that away from it, I, I, I guess, if you really wanted to. Um, I think part of this is that, look, Virginia Tech's secondary is back to being what we expected Virginia Tech's secondary to be. Uh, that was the secondary that we thought we were going to see last year, but we didn't see that group last year because of all the COVID issues. They That, that was the unit that was hit the hardest by them. Um, so they looked really good. Carolina's wide receivers did not outside of Josh Downs. But I think, you know, it, to, to some extent, it was expected, but you felt like the group would be able to make enough plays. And there were enough opportunities for these guys, like you mentioned, especially Emory Simmons and, and Garrett Walston, to make those catches. Are, are you concerned about where this team is at right now at wide receiver? Like, is this something that we should be that worried about going forward? Or is this just one of those, you know, off weeks starting out in week one where you think this group should be able to bounce back? I think you got to be concerned because you're, you're, you've got some injuries out there. You know, you didn't have Bo Corrales and that, that absence was really, it really affected everything you did. Um, Chaffee Brown, you know, nothing going for you there. So yes. And I think it'd be more disconcerting if you could look at the game tape and say, well, they didn't leave any plays on the field. Um, Emory Simmons left a handful of plays on the field. And for a guy that has, they had a great offseason, had a great spring, a follow with a great fall. That was very disappointing. This is a guy that Carolina prioritized. They flipped his recruitment. A guy that was really primed for this moment. They knew for the last for the last two years that Dami Brown's going to be ahead of him, but there'll be a time in this place where he's going to be a big part of what you want to do. Sam Howell gave him chances to go make plays. He didn't make plays. Garrett Walston, um, you know, maybe I'm just being nitpicky. I watched a lot of football this weekend, and I saw a lot of great offenses that had tight ends that were making big plays. And I just – I know that's not a part of what Phil Longo's done, but I think it has a value. And there were plays that Garrett Walston was open and he didn't make the catch. Um, and there was a drive killer on a third and ten where he was open on the backside, dropped the football. Who knows what happens if he makes that catch or not? And so I just think you have to be concerned because you couldn't run the ball consistently enough to say, well, we can just be a run-first football team, even though that's what this offense is designed to do. And so the good news is, is that you've got a, a mediocre opponent coming into your building on Saturday night that you need to treat as your sacrificial lamb. And you need to understand, you need to treat that as you're, you're going to find some answers about who you are Saturday night. Are you going to find out a lot because it's Georgia State? No, but you better find out something because your next two games are ACC opponents and you can't stumble in those games if you want to make it to Charlotte. So concerning, if, if you're not, you're lying to yourself. Yep. Well, one of the things that you talked about that I thought was really interesting 
is there should have been more rotation, right? We should have seen more guys thrown out there, especially when you saw guys were struggling to create separation and make plays. That was one thing, and look, maybe just be a nitpicky heat of the moment. Once the once Jay Bateman realized defensively, look, these guys ain't getting the job done, Ray Velasic, Miles Murphy, whoever, they got taken out of the game. And they didn't care they had a Javari Ritzy on the field. They because the guy made an impact. They didn't care that Cayman Rucker was on the field because the guy made the impact. And we you hear from people that know football a hell of a lot better than we know it say, well, you know, you can put a freshman out there because at, at wide receiver, because it's not that big of a the, the, the translation isn't as drastic as his other positions, yet you didn't see any of Carolina's younger receivers that have all this talent that you brought into your in this last recruiting class. You saw Justin Olsen, and I don't know if I want to see Justin Olsen ever again because he got out he got out tough. And if you're going to have tough against Virginia Tech, what's going to happen against a Miami, Notre Dame, whoever? So I feel like that's got to be a part of the plan, at least until Bo Corrales and Choffrey Brown are out there the majority of the snaps. Well, I'm not, I'm not casting Justin Olsen off uh, because of that one play. I I'm going to be honest. I should have. We should have seen him earlier. To be, I mean, look at how long they, they they took to get him into the game, and then the first play of the game. I mean, it's a contested throw, and he just isn't able to make the play on it. That's an area where he's got to improve. But I mean, they were running with the same guys over and over and over again, and there was just nothing that was that that was happening. I thought just put some other guys out there. I mean, even like you said, with the wide receivers, throw some of the freshmen out there. We've heard so much about Bryson Nesbitt at tight end and how he's looked pretty good coming in. I mean, throw these guys out there and let's see what they've got. I mean, I'm not saying you've got to throw them out there and say, well, they're going to be out here for the next, for this entire drive, but throw them out there for a couple of snaps and see if they can do anything different for your guys going forward. Because I mean, look, the solution may not be these guys that you have there right now. Now I'm not saying, look, is, is Emory Simmons season over after this first game? No. I mean, Emory Simmons did some good things. He was the guy that outside of Josh Downs probably created the most separation. He's got to be able to make plays on the football and I'll have a yeah. chance to do that going forward. Um, you know, Garrett Walston was open. Like you mentioned, there was a throw early in the first quarter or early in the first quarter, early in the fourth quarter in Virginia tech territory, where if, and again, it was a little bit overthrown, but it was still catchable. If he makes that catch, that could result in Carolina getting points. It didn't, and you know that that was something that hurt Carolina. So those are the types of guys that you need to be seeing step up. And the most disheartening part about that is that both of those guys that we just talked about are upperclassmen. You're seeing the upperclassmen that are struggling. So, yeah, at this point, let's see some of those younger guys step up. Now, Sam Howell, we talked about, you know, him a little bit, um, you know, after the game. I think, you know, in the immediate moment, when you look at the three interceptions, you look that two of them came in the fourth quarter. And, of course, they put up the stat on the screen just to pretty much rub it into Carolina fans that he had never turned the ball over in the fourth quarter before that. Uh, you would look and say, man, he uh, he did not have a great performance. And, look, I think, and somebody pointed it out to me because I was, you know, I kind of blanked this game out shocking that I would try to do that when it comes to Sam Howell. But uh, this game or the game in his freshman season on the road at Wake Forest, probably the worst games of his career. Um, I, I, I think this one, you could just see that he was, he was pushing. And, and 
there was, you know, there was a guy that coached him in high school that is a guy that listens to the Mac Attack in Charlotte, which is the show that I'm a radio producer for. And he texted in the day after on Saturday when we were doing a show. And he said that that looked exactly like Sam in high school. And I saw Sam play multiple times in high school. And when he struggled in games like that, in games where his offensive line didn't play well in front of him, where guys were struggling catching the football, it was exactly the same thing. Sam Howell wants to be Superman. He wants to make a play. But Carolina just couldn't help him out in this game. But the biggest thing that I've seen a lot of people saying is, one, Sam Howell's overrated, which – Again, I don't know how you can look at that game and and see that. And two, um, there are some people that are saying they are concerned about Sam Howell going forward. This could be an issue going forward with him for the rest of the season. Do you think either one of those things are true, or do you think that just like the just like everybody's doing right now, everyone is react overreacting to Week One of college football? Um, is he overrated? No. Um, and even if he is, that's something, I mean, I wish I was overrated at something and something in my life as playing quarterback at the college football level. Matt Brown said in the post game, the shines off this football team that starts and that ends with Sam Howell. Um, and that's the nature of playing quarterback for a preseason top 10 team that has Heisman Trophy, um, at, you know, aspirations for this season. Does he have to be better? Absolutely. Does he have to get rid of the ball quicker to help his offensive line when his offensive line's not having a great night? Absolutely. Does he have to make better decisions with the football? Absolutely. Does he when he when he when he takes off and runs, does he need to slide and not get hit because we don't know who our backup quarterback is right now? Please. Absolutely. With that being said, as bad as he was on Friday night, and he was bad. And Carolina had the ball with 50-some-odd seconds left to go, and if they went down and scored a touchdown, who would have been surprised? Nobody, because that's who Sam Howell is. That's what, that's what Sam Howell does. I, I mentioned a lot with – I talked about Dak Prescott as a guy that I don't, I don't mind going to war with. If, and, you know, every guy in that locker room doesn't mind going to war with Sam Howell because he's going to give it everything he has. And he's going to make, he's going to try to play Superman. And sometimes it bites you in the butt like he did Friday night. The good things outweigh the bad things. But I've mentioned it leading up that I do think he, you know, was going to have to elevate the, the level of the play around him. And he made, he left some plays out there for his guys to make it and do it. So we'll see how he responds um, this, this upcoming weekend. If we know Sam and you listen to Sam, no one took the loss harder. No one's going to spend more time in the film room than him. No one's going to come out Saturday night with more more to prove than him. He's going to bounce back in a big way. Um, and I mentioned this leading up to when I picked Carolina to lose the game. This was If they lost, it could be the best-case scenario for this team. His performance Friday night could have been the best-case scenario for him and getting this season where we want it to go. Yeah, I mean, it could be for sure. I, I think that, you know, he definitely put a lot of it on himself. And to be honest with you, I mean, there wasn't – I mean, it, there, there were some throws that he missed, but the interceptions are not all on him. I mean, look, there was one that was tipped at the line. Uh, that was his second interception that was tipped at the line. Uh, a guy just got beat inside. I think it was uh, – I think it might have been Kieron Johnson. Just got beat, immediate pressure in his face. The ball gets tipped, and Dax Hollifield made a play. That was really what it was. He made a diving interception, made a play on the football. And then, um, you know, the first one of the game, you have – it was really wasn't that bad of a throw. 
it was a good throw to your receiver's back shoulder. It just gets taken away from. Um, I mean, that's that's one that you can't really blame on Sam. If that was a year ago, that's a play that's made. And even not being a year, that's a play that should have been made. You should have yeah. held on to the football there. Um, the last one, yeah, I mean, you probably shouldn't have thrown that. But it was kind of what I thought. And it was confirmed by Phil Longo in the post game. And look, I mean, he could just be making an excuse for his quarterback. I don't think he is. I think he's a pretty straight up guy, just like Mac Brown. He was, he, he said right out, he was trying to throw the ball away, but there was too much pressure. Honestly, that's probably one that in that case, we, we tell him to throw the ball away. Then in that case, you waited too long, eat the football, eat it, take well, the sack. The, the bigger issue I think I had, um, and Tar Heel fans have had, and even pundits around the country had, was Carolina had all of its timeouts before that play happened. Yep. Mac Brown doesn't call the offense, doesn't call the defense. He is a manager of the game. He manages the clock, the timeout. Um, and he said it Monday when he met with the media, he's got to be better. I feel like that was a situation where you take a timeout, you kind of then install your next two to three, four plays, envisioning you moving the ball down the field and scoring that touchdown. So maybe if you take the timeout in that situation, that doesn't happen as well. I mean, it could be. Yeah. I mean, I, I, with, with the way the offensive line played, and again, with, with Phil Longo basically just confirming that it was, it was something that wasn't communicated right up front, it probably ends up still happening. I, I, I got to admit, I, I thought – you know, I mean, I love Mac Brown. I love, I mean, he's, he's a great head coach. The fact that Carolina is where there is, is, is tremendous. I thought his explanation for why they didn't take the timeout was a little bit lame. Um, basically just saying that, I mean, it's true, man. Like he, he said, you know, look with, with three timeouts on the clock and 30 something seconds in the game, you know, you would have been able to get off a, a bunch of plays did you see how slow your team was moving after the run play? Which, that's a whole nother problem. Why did you run it on a play where, I mean, look, you you had, you had needed yards and you were in a solid spot, but I still don't feel like that was a place where you run the football. To me, you weren't having that much success. Not like you were at times a year ago where you could try to catch them off guard with a run and pick up 10 or 12 yards. You were trying to catch them off guard and what, picking up three or four yards? Like, I, I didn't – there were a lot of different things with that scenario that I just didn't get. Yeah, uh, it can't be uh, – you know, there, there can't be a high-profile Tar Heel athletic coach if Tar Heel fans don't get mad about them and their use of timeouts because we had it with Roy Williams. Now we got it with Mac Brown. Probably going to have with Hubert Davis when basketball season gets kicked off underway. But, yeah, I do think that is something where when you when your whole MO is you're going to manage the clock and manage the timeouts and all that, and you screw it up, you better have a very good explanation of why you screwed it up. And his, expl and his explanation Monday left a lot to be desired. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And, I mean, look, you know, he's he's going to just, you know, bounce back from it himself. He's a guy that's hopefully, you know, going to continue to learn, and I don't doubt that he will. I mean, there's a reason why he's had as much success as he had to this point. Really quickly before we, uh, you know, turn to the big picture of this loss, let's talk about the defense. You know, they did bounce back after a slow start. Um, I mean, look, it, it, was, it was rough. Those first – three or four drives, Carolina could not stop that run game at all. It was very reminiscent of the last few meetings with them. Um, somehow they did not allow as many yards as I thought that they did on the ground. It looked a lot worse than it actually was. But 
really Carolina was just getting beat up front. Uh, and credit to Jay Bateman and credit to Tim Cross up front. Uh, they rotated every single guy that they had out there. At one point, I'm pretty sure that they put in Norquita Sotis, who hasn't been there in a few years. I mean, they were trying every player possible to try yeah. to find some sort of solution. Um, and, you know, you had some guys that stepped up. I mean, Javari Ritzy looked really, really good in the limited snaps that he plays. He's going to get a bigger role going forward. And another guy that I thought played really well going back and looking at it was Christian Barner up front, yeah. even though he was a guy coming in that probably a lot of people didn't look at as playing a big role. But, you know, Carolina found some stability. Uh, Jay Bateman, I thought, said it pretty well, and you could see that this team was just over overhyped and they were a little bit too amped coming out of the gates trying to go out there and make some early plays and just getting themselves out of position. But they recovered nicely. And to me, and I, I'm you know wondering if you think the same, they showed some things that – uh, you know, should have Tar Heel fans encouraged. I know that we've seen these types of things in the past. If you go back to the 2015 defense in the opening game against South Carolina, but something just feels a little bit different about this unit. It looks like a team that's ready to compete more on the defensive side of the football, especially, especially with the physical nature of the game uh, in that second half. Well, I think that was the big thing. I thought Carolina, the first four drives, they got whipped, whether it was at the point of attack, Virginia Tech finishing runs, whatever. But once Carolina settled in, I thought they they brought the physicality that we expect them to bring because that's they've been talking about being more physical and they're hitting harder. And, and there was a full stadium and that place was going loud. And you could hear some of the hits that we were laying on those guys, which felt really nice. Um, of a couple takes away to uh, takeaways defensively. Um, Jaquarius Conley is an animal, and he's going to be so much fun to watch him just grow because he's only going to get better. Mm -hmm. um, that was a guy that uh, just just made plays every time. Like whenever Carolina needed to make a play, him or Trey Morrison were making the plays, and, and they were. And that that's a good sign to see. Um, we talked a lot about leading into the into the in the season that. Uh, we weren't, you know, you're you're losing Chas Surratt, but you're getting a natural in Eugene Asante. I think you would have liked to have Chas Surratt on that field Friday night because he was just a more veteran guy, had more experience. But once Asante settled in, you saw the guy that you saw in the Orange Bowl. That is a natural that's going to make plays. Him and Jeremiah Gimmel are going to be a lot. They're, they're going to be a lot of fun to watch at that linebacker spot. Um, the big thing came back to me as it has been since Jay Bateman got here and whenever Carolina has been forced defensively, could they get pressure on the quarterback? That answer was no. They only had registered a, a, a one total team sack as a half sack um, on to, uh, to Timon Fox. Um, and, and look, you gotta, you gotta credit Virginia tech because that's what we do. We're professionals and they're, they, they, they were, their game plan was good enough to, to keep Carolina away. But that wasn't the best offensive line Carolina's going to see. And that, now granted, you had a mobile quarterback. But that's not the best quarterback you're going to see either moving forward. Carolina's got to get more pressure up front for this defense to take the next step because you can do what you did against Virginia Tech, but against some of these other offenses, they're still going to make plays whether they're running the football or not, just by the nature of how the, the, the way offense 
is played now, but I loved what I saw from Javari Ritzy. I thought the rotation up there was encouraging because they were willing and, and then they didn't care that they had young guys out there. Last year, that didn't happen because of the COVID offseason. You could see where that the spring and summer ball, it, it matters more than we've ever thought it has. You know, Christian Barner, as you mentioned, come back. You look back and you look at some of the plays. His name was up there. You need more out of Simone Fox. You need more out of Tamari Fox. And you need Des Evans to show up. I thought in the first half, they just took him away. He wasn't physical enough. Um, and I think another thing we learned in this is that can you throw on Tony Grimes? No. Can you run at Tony Grimes? Yes. And I, it's going to be interesting to see how Carolina adjusts to that because Virginia Tech, they didn't want to throw at him, but they weren't scared of running at him either. Yeah, you're right about that. That was one of my biggest takeaways. And I, I put him in the stock report. He's a guy that – you know, in run defense, that's an area where he's going to have to improve, being able to get yeah. off of blocks because he was pushed around a little bit. And and look, that's fine. I mean, there's always a weakness in, in guys' games. Not everybody is perfect. So you've got to be able to adjust to that. Um, and I think, again, you know, we didn't see Storm Duck in this game really no. at all. Um, I don't know if he actually took a snap in this game. So he's probably going to be a guy that we could see more going forward. Um you know, I thought Kyler McMichael, you know, he, he had a couple of moments where, you know, he was in coverage, had good coverage, but he is a guy that needs to be better at playing the ball. Mac Brown admitted that in this press conference. There were a couple yeah. of plays out there that he just simply didn't make. And that's where maybe Storm Duck makes those plays. So, I mean, there's areas where this team still can improve. Uh, you know, on the defensive line, when you talked about the pass rushers, can we see more of Kamen Rucker? I mean, what more does this dude have to show you? I mean, he came on the other night. He played five snaps the other night and had half a sack. He yeah. immediately made an impact. Let's see more of this dude. I know that we've got other guys on this defensive line that were more highly rated than him or whatever. Right now, he's doing everything right when it comes to getting pressure on the quarterback. I think he's a guy that plays extremely hard, and he helps you out and run defense as well. I really like everything about him. So there's guys that I think you can play up there that are going to give you a little bit more right now uh, than the guys that we've seen out there, and it is what it is. I mean, look, some of these guys may feel like they deserve bigger roles, but you know, there's guys that are playing better than him right now. Uh, I think, you know, like you said, when it comes to the pressure thing, I mean, look, maybe you're hoping that that's going to, to, to me, I, I wouldn't even hesitate and wait. Uh, if I'm Jay Bateman, it, it's look, even if you saw some things in camp, um, we saw that your offensive line is not all that great, to be honest with you. So maybe yeah. that really shows that your defensive line, even if they were dominating in camp, uh, may still be a little over overmatched by some of these offensive lines. You've got to scheme pressure again this year. I feel like that's it's going to take a while for you to get to the point where you're going to have guys that can consistently win these one-on-one -on -one battles out in space. Yeah, we're, and, not, we're not freaking Georgia. I, I mean, it, it's just – and even Georgia. Even Georgia, man, like they were – I mean, they were blitzing Channing Tindall in the middle. They were blitzing the Kobe Dean. Like, they were throwing so many different looks at these quarterbacks. And for Carolina, it felt like Braxton Burmeister was looking at a lot of the same things throughout the night because Carolina was trying to focus on taking him away. But even when they dropped back to try to focus on taking him away down the field, it didn't really work. They still couldn't slow him down. He's, when he still got in space, he still made plays. So, 
Carolina's just it, running quarterbacks have bothered Carolina for a while. I think they did a much better job in the second half, though, and that's mm-hmm. hopefully something that they can use going forward. But there's still areas where this defense can improve. But there's again, there's a lot to be encouraged about with the defense going forward. And I think it's definitely a unit that's uh, got some promising pieces and some guys that we can be excited about. Now, here's the last question before we go ahead and, and get ready to shut this thing down. We'll hand out our player of the game. Um, there are some people that are thinking that this derails the season for you. This should be a very easy answer to this. You were a guy that predicted this game to be a loss. I'm not getting the complete doom side of things. I said to you, what I do think this does is mainly because of how bad the offense looked, how much they struggled to move the football. I think this does create a bigger margin for error for the Tar Heels. Coming in, I told you, I thought that this team was going to go in 11 and 1. I thought that their floor was 9 and 3. I think that shifted. I think that this team probably now would go 10 and 2 because, man, I know that they struggled defensively. That Notre Dame team is good, man. They are going to put up a lot of points. They're still extremely physical. That's the one game that really, really concerns me for Carolina going forward. And it's another place where Carolina has never played well. So I think 10 and two is probably their ceiling. That would still get you to the ACC championship game, in my opinion. Um, and I think, but, but I do think that their floor, this is a team that if enough things were to go wrong, and if we see the team that we saw a lot of the other night, especially on the offensive line and at wide receiver going forward early in the season, with some matchups coming up that are going to be tough, mainly that game against Virginia. This is a team that could finish the season seven and five. That's where I think things have changed, but I do not think that this has derailed the season and that people after one week should be claiming this season as a failure. No, this, this doesn't derail the season. Um, We were overrated. uh, I think, and, and, and I think we can all admit to that. Um, but, and and I mentioned this when we previewed the game and I went public with my prediction that we were going to get beat, which I kept private between you and I for about a month or so. Once we got the the schedule, we started breaking everything down that I I thought we were going to get beat. I also said that I think it'd be the best thing for them. Circa 2015, you lose a game to South Carolina, roll off 11 straight wins. You go to Charlotte and you play for an ACC championship. Does Carolina have two FCS opponents in their schedule? No. But you do still have seven games in your home building that you should expect to win. Um, And I think, you know, I don't complain a lot about Mac Brown, but the first two years I complained that I wanted more from him emotionally on the sidelines. I got that Friday night, and then I got a coach that owned up to it in the postgame on Friday, and then you and I both watched the presser he had on Monday. That man's not happy. He he, Look, as he said, this – this game ain't worth playing if you're not winning. So Carolina has to win. Um, I think what it does, do I think they have a less margin for error? You, you, you now agree with me. I thought that all along they had a less margin of error than they had last year or even two years ago. But you're relying on the talent, your coaching. You still have the a top two to three quarterback in the country that's going to be taking snaps for you. Doesn't derail the season. What it does is it gets your guys refocused. And you can still accomplish everything you want to accomplish. Was was our season goal to beat Virginia Tech? No. Our season goal was to win the ACC Coastal 
compete in an ACC championship game, and make a return trip to a New Year's Six Bowl game. Unless I'm wrong, all that is still attainable. And unless you didn't watch a lot of college football this weekend, the ACC does look to be very good. Um, Clemson didn't look very good. They look vulnerable. Um, Miami is atrocious. Um, Louisville, Scott Satterfield might get fired at the end of the season. because Yeah, he's gone. Yeah. That team hasn't improved since he got there. Florida State was the team that, of all the teams that lost, you felt good cut about, and they got beat. Like, we're, we're feeling good about a Florida team that ultimately lost the football game. So you've got a lot of chances to make up for this. Um, the thing is, is you got to go out there and win. The guys seem focused. The guys don't seem down on themselves after such a loss because you can't be in this business because, as, as Mac Brown said, we can't let this game beat us next Saturday. And Georgia State is coming off a loss that, look, they got beat by 33 at home. But guess what? That team has won at Tennessee. They're not going to be afraid of your environment. They return all 22 starters from last year's team. They, were, they return their starting quarterback. They, you know, their top four rushers, they're back. So what it does is it refocuses Carolina. You can get back to playing with that edge and that chip that you should have been playing to begin with because you weren't the 10th best team in college football. Yeah, no, you're, I mean, that, that would be what you would hope. And I think you're right. Uh, I, I mean, my thing is, is there are so many people that are looking at it as a, just a complete failure, mainly because the offense didn't look great. I think that that was something that we, we thought was a possibility, yeah. um, you know, that the offense cause it wasn't going to look good. I know certainly we thought that it was a possibility that Carolina could lose that game. If you went into that game and there were there were a lot of Toriel fans that felt this way. There were a lot of Toriel fans that felt there's no way we're losing this game. I don't understand how you took that mindset in. This is not a place where Carolina has played well. This is a program that has given Carolina fits even in their own stadium before. What made you look at this team and feel like, man, we were going to beat? I mean, th- the other thing is I think people got lulled into a false sense that Virginia Tech is this horrific football team. It's this horrific football program that hasn't been good in a very long time. That's not true. I mean, last year was the first time in a very, very long time that they have finished below 500. And a large part of that, and you could say that it's it's just an excuse or whatever. I mean, look, injuries are something that, you know, Mac, Mac Brown said it the other day with Brian Anderson. It's facts and it's an excuse, or maybe that was Phil Longo, one of the two, and both can be true. With Virginia Tech, they had how many guys that were out because of COVID last year? That was a team. I mean, that was a team that for nearly the entire season was one of the most ravaged by COVID. So you couldn't take a whole lot of what you saw last year and put it towards the team that you were going to see this year. I think the thing that was disheartening was that They did not have a quarterback that played all that well in that game, especially in that second half. And really, your defense gave you chances, and you leaned on an offense that for two years has been really, really good. You felt like, man, we can lean on this group. But I think the biggest thing that we saw in this game and that you've got to see going forward from this offense, the offensive line, yeah, you need to see them step up for sure. You need your wide receivers to be better. This team needs to run the football. You, you hit on that so hard in the preseason. If this team doesn't run the ball well, this offense is not good. And nope. it, it can't function the way that it needs to. 
Carolina has Carolina has to be able to run the football. This is an offense that wants to function like Oklahoma's offenses have for years. Then you've got to run the football. And I think to me, they've got the guys that can do it. That's why I'm not saying this season is derailed. We saw some encouraging things out of the backfield. Now it's just about you need to stick with the run. It didn't work early on. That was my one thing with Phil Longo was that I felt like he abandoned the run way too quickly in this game the other night. If they can stick with the running game a little bit more, I feel like that allows and sets this offense up for a chance to be successful going forward. One more thing before we move on and hand out our player of the game award. I saw this on Twitter in the post game. Um, look, Matt Brown deserves criticism from himself, the players, and us as fans. Calling him saying he's suffering from dementia and stuff like that, that's not appropriate. And it's something that uh, a lot of Tar Heel fans didn't really have a problem tweeting that at him. Um, Matt Brown's very active on Twitter. Um, so he probably, when he got on the bus or whatever to come back home, probably saw those kind of comments. I've got a grandfather that is suffering from that disease that I'm watching him. It's, it's killed him for over 10 years, and I've watched him slowly deteriorate. It's not funny, um, and we simply need to be better. Look, is losing fun? Hell no. I want to win as much as anybody, but we need to be able to lose with a little bit more grace as we do when we're winning those types of games because the wins, they've come, and they're going to come because he is the right guy to get this program where you think it needs to go as a fan so we just need to be better um, whether we win or whether we lose. Now let's go give our player the game. So, yeah, let's move on. Uh, player of the game. Uh, I went with Josh Downs. I think it was pretty obvious. Uh, eight catches, 123 yards, and a touchdown on 10 targets. I know it's extremely hard to pick somebody on the offensive side of the ball as your player of the game. I mean, look, there were some good defensive performances as well. I think both Trey Morrison, Jaquarius Conley could have been up there. Uh, Javori Ritzy may have been in the conversation, but he only took 15 snaps, but he looked really, really good. Uh, Josh Downs looks the part. He That was the one guy where, you know, this team may, overall may have lived, may not have lived up to our expectations that we had for them in the opener. Josh Downs looked really, really good, and he is only going to get better, especially if they can get him some help. If you Because, I mean, Mac Brown said it, teams are going to start keying in on him. So you need other guys to step up. But, man, if this guy gets into open space, get it, it, put the football in his hands, and he is extremely dynamic. And he's a guy that I think he is just – he is living up to the expectations right out of the gate. And you can see why – Kirk Street had him as one of his Herbie Award candidates uh, for the season. He, he's going to be a breakout star for this yeah. team. So, uh, yeah, that wraps it up for uh, this edition of the podcast, guys. Uh, the recap edition of the podcast. We got the preview edition coming up for Georgia State. That will be going up uh, later on this week. So, you guys will definitely want to check that one out. We'll go in-depth on uh, Carolina's home opener, Uh Sold out home opener. Of course, they will be uh, honoring the 20 year anniversary of those that perished uh, during the attacks, uh, the terrorist attacks of September 11, 2001. So it's going to be an emotional day inside 
uh, of Keenan Stadium. And then uh, Carolina gets it going 730 at night. So uh, it is going to be a night game. Good environment. Hopefully uh, Carolina can rebound nicely uh, at home against the Georgia State team that, uh, as Josh mentioned, experienced. Uh, They've got some talented players as well. Um, so we'll go through, we'll break that game down for you coming up on the uh, preview edition of the podcast. Also, I actually watched their uh, their game against Army today, so I will have a full breakdown of the Georgia State Panthers when we preview that, that, that game later this week. How about that, guys? How about that? Uh, that is mainly due to the fact that he doesn't have anything else better to do with this time. But – uh, yeah, so, you know, again, if, if for, for the Virginia Tech stuff, if you want to go back and check that out, uh, I, I don't know why you'd want to put yourself through that pain, but we would appreciate it because we like seeing the views on the articles. Uh, go back, check out the recap. Uh, we sort of explain our takeaways from the game. Uh, Josh has the uh, trench report for you where he looks at a rough performance from the offensive line. A uh, slow start, but a better performance from the defensive line. And then I have you covered with the stock report. I tell you who's trending up, who's trending down as we head towards uh, the game against Georgia State. So all of those are still relevant. Make sure you guys go back and check that out. We'll have the preview article up there for you for the Georgia State game. We'll go in-depth, get you ready for that experienced Panthers team that's coming in. Um, and tell you how the how Carolina can rebound, how they bounce back from that loss against Virginia Tech. We'll have that all on the website. Again, same stuff uh, that I just ran through that uh, you guys can go back and check out for the Virginia Tech game. We'll have that for the Georgia State game after that game is over. Podcast side of things, we'll be doing the same thing going forward. Um, the recaps will probably be the ones that will be taped. We will preview games live. Um, we'll see, you know, if that's kind of the way that you guys think is better. If you think that we should do the uh, the recaps live and the previews, get, give us a suggestion. We're definitely looking for your guys. We want it to be a user-friendly experience for you guys this season. But there's a few different ways that we're going to be doing this. And, uh, again, just try to be flexible with us. Our schedules are kind of changing, you know, all the time. You know, we don't know. Uh, you know, there's certain things that we may have to do for our jobs that may have us doing uh, you know, recorded editions when we normally want to do live editions. So we're just asking you guys to be flexible with us. Um, we greatly appreciate that. The best place to check out uh, all of the stuff is on the Facebook page. That's where those live podcasts are going to be at uh, throughout the season. Um, of course, all, uh, you know, just the regular video editions of the podcast as well, even if they're not live on there. And then uh, we do have still all the stuff that, uh, you know, the audio editions of the podcast, the articles will be up there. Um, when With the audio editions of the podcast, uh, we are Extremely excited to announce that we are a part of the Pigskin Podcast Network. Um, so, uh, you know, great job, uh, you know, above Josh. Uh, kind of sticking with the guys there for the Basketball Podcast Network. They've now welcomed me in. Want to thank everybody over there uh, that, you know, has, has welcomed me in uh, to their 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 group. And uh, it's an extremely exciting time for the podcast to be able to work, uh, you know, with some of those guys going forward. Uh, Brandon uh, Ruwicki, uh, Dylan Kaiser, as well as uh, Isher Jerome. Uh, really appreciate them uh, for bringing me on and uh, extremely excited to be able to work with them going forward to give you guys another avenue uh, to be able to uh, watch and listen. And there's some other stuff that we can do with the podcast as well through them that uh, we think is going to be really, really enjoyable for you guys going forward. So uh, yeah, extremely excited about that. And uh, make sure that if you are a listener to the podcast, wherever you listen to your podcast, it's still in all of the same spots, make sure that you subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss any of the, the editions of the podcast 
uh, as they go along. We're still, you know, as I mentioned, recap, preview podcast. They're going to be separate this year. We'll do them both different ways, but all the audio versions will be up there. And if there are any recruiting podcast, we will be doing those during the season. So if you have a big name guy that commits, guys like George Petaway, uh, still out there, the four-star running back in the 22 class, five-star offensive tackle, Zach Rice, those guys are still out there. So if something does happen on that front, me and Zach Hubbard will have you covered on that. We'll bring you all the latest on the recruiting side of things as well. Um, and make sure you guys check out, uh, you know, as I mentioned, Basketball Podcast Network has uh, the Four Corners podcast. And same thing with all your major platforms. Make sure you are subscribed to that as well. Last thing uh, before we get out of here, make sure you head over to our our official social media pages on Twitter. You can check out the blog's official account at Heel Tough Blog on Twitter. Check me out at HTB Anthony Josh at HTB Josh. And, uh, of course, Zach Hubbard, as I mentioned, for him, all of our recruiting stuff at Hack Zubbard, too. So that wraps up for this edition of the podcast. want to thank Josh for fighting through and hosting with me. want to thank you guys for watching and listening. And as always, go Tar Heels!